Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your host, Alan Smith. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. Yeah, and welcome back once again to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Today is May 1st, 2014. I'm Alan Smith along with Donna Smith, my trusty co-host for the program on this sunny Thursday as we come to you live from the Sunshine State, but storms are beginning to move in, so hopefully we won't have any problems as we roll along here with our broadcast. Actually, I see some sun out there. Interesting show this evening as we take a look at smart trucking, advancement in technology and so forth that when uh, utilized can show increased fuel mileage, higher profits for both driver and carrier, and just little adjustments you can do along the way to save fuel, save on engine wear and tear, and most importantly, increase your bottom line. Our guests this evening are members of Freightliner's Team Run Smart and have over 40 years of trucking experience between them. For the first half of the show, we'll be talking with Henry Albert, owner of Albert Transport Incorporated out of North Carolina to discuss his views on fuel savings, modern-day trucking technology and advancement, industry regulations, and a bunch of other things as we roll along. And for the final half of the program, fellow team Run Smart member Jimmy Navarez will join us, who is president of Angus Transportation Incorporated of California. And uh, Jimmy also holds a B.A. degree in business administration from the DeVry University in Pomona, California, that he earned while running the 11 western states as an owner-operator. So Mr. Navarez operates a Freightliner that runs on compressed natural gas, CNG, and we will hear his views on CNG operations, fuel mileage, safety, and what he sees as a future for CNG vehicles, and of course whatever topics of discussion that further comes our way. So Donna, you all set over there and ready to go Smart trucking? Well, I'm, I thought I was ready, and I'm on the show, and I'm having a problem getting in the chat room. So I hope it works tonight because I think a lot of people are going to be in the chat room. Uh, well, it's up and running. Let me see. Uh, yeah. I can't connect to it, and I'm, I don't know if it's just me or if other people are having a problem connecting also. Okay. Well, we already have a few guests popping up there. Welcome to the show. You might just have to refresh it or something. But we'll just roll right along. If you'd like to join the conversation later, our call-in number is 347-826-9170. Henry Albert and Jimmy Navarez of Freightliner's Team Run Smart for our show this evening, Smart Trucking Technology and Advancement. So we are going to be running smart this evening, and it's all coming up on Truth About Trucking Live. You're listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Alan Smith will be right back.
Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with the Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. And be sure to tell them that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here from Truth About Trucking Live and AskTheTrucker.com. And I want to tell you about TCRG Consulting. TCRG is a division of Transportation Compliance Resource Group. And with over 30 years of compliance and regulatory training and consulting, they are the company that can help you from the very startup of your new trucking commercial business to keeping your company compliant and up-to-date on the ever-changing federal motor carrier regulations. Their goal is to help their clients to comply with the FMCSRs. TCRG Consulting makes your DOT compliance easy and understandable, and they work hard to prevent interruption of your daily operations. So if you're having trouble with DOT, just think TCRG. Their services include obtaining DOT numbers, obtaining operating authority, new entrant carrier setup and training, driver qualifications, driver drug and alcohol training, maintenance records, CSA carrier reviews and counseling, data queue filings, plus a whole lot more. Their online special for drivers and owner-operators is offering a yearly consulting service for only $99. So for $99 a year, you have access to online compliance chat, free telephone consultations up to 15 minutes per call, data queue filings, and you'll be able to keep up with the ever-changing regulations with an expert, not the guy or gal in the truck next to you. So for more information, go to their website at tcrgconsulting.com or email them at regguy at comcast.net. You can get a quote or ask an online question. So remember, if you're having trouble with DOT, just think TCRG. TCRG Consulting, information and assistance to help you comply. Check them out, tcrgconsulting.com. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. Henry Albert and Jimmy Navarez of Freightliner's Team Run Smart as our guests this evening. Henry, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Alan. And Jimmy, thanks uh, for joining us as well. How are you doing this evening? Ah, excellent. Thank you for asking. It's great to be here. Uh, I take it. Are you all out on the road right now, or are you all sitting, or you're at home, or are you out on the road still? 
I'm sitting at the TA in Meridian, Mississippi. And I'm currently was, out on the road, uh, getting ready to bag my last, uh, getting ready to bag my last load for the day. All right, there you go. Well, listen, Don and I appreciate you guys taking some time out from uh, your busy schedule to join us for our program. Uh, Henry, I guess we're going to kind of start with you for the first part of the show, but Jimmy, feel free to jump in as well, and Henry can do the same for the second half of the program. We don't really have any rules here. We can just all kind of roll along as we go. But I guess first, Henry, let me uh, let me ask you first all uh, – I mean, tell everybody this Freightliners team runs smart. What's this all about, and how, how did you become a member of the team? Well, Team Run Smart's an online interactive community. It was created by Freightliner. Uh, part of what they did, uh, matter of fact, they don't want everything we do to be on the truck. The idea behind it was to put information up that could help anybody, regardless of the brand of truck that they're buy- driving at the current time. And the thought behind all that really was that in a rising tide, all the ships will float higher. Uh, I personally look at it a way that they're kind of giving back and, like I say, if they get on me if I start putting too much about the truck, because the truck has a lot to write about, and I like to write about it, but that's how it works. Everything on there is free, and it's just information, everything from tax information to driver health, uh, fuel mileage, taxes, business. That's what it's all about. Oh, yeah, it's 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 really diverse. Um, if you go through um, each member's uh, articles, I mean, you've got dealing with stress, finances, taxes, uh, per diem, team driving. Um, then I guess one Alan's going to talk a little bit tonight uh, with that internal combustion engine. Um, what was it? How, how, uh, how trucking saved the environment or something like that? Yeah, it was, <laughs> that was an interesting story when I got involved in that, that, you know, many, many years ago, well, a little over 100 years ago, they were dealing with particulate matter in the streets of a different kind other than diesel slit, which turned out to be horse manure. Oh, yeah. It was a great article. <laughs> and that turned out to be have have, uh, have problems in itself, huh? Well, it's funny how much that mirrors where we are today. Uh, they, they talk about particulate matter and respiratory problems, and when it got dry and dusty in the streets, quite literally from the manure blowing around in the dust and all of it, people were having respiratory problems. And when I started researching that, you went all the way back to the times of uh, Rome with Caesar, and there were certain parts of the city that horses were banned from because the average horse put out 38 pounds of manure a day. Um, You can see where this creates a problem when you have a few hundred thousand of them around. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. So this... uh the team Run Smart was that put together by Freightliner, or you and Jimmy and Bob and Linda and Joey and Jeff and all the others? Did y'all just come up with this, or is it all all a part of Freightliner? I mean, how 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 did the team members all come about? Well, it's it's actually a partnership between Freightliner and ATBS on the tax side of it. Um, okay. Everybody got chose. There was a. Uh, deal that was going on for a while where you put in your application and your credentials and what you've been doing, and then they had the hard choice of picking who was going to be on it. I had already mm-hmm. been on. I was previously part of a program that did Slice of Trucker Life, which was a similar program, and uh, 
it grew from that into Team Run Smart. They wanted it to become more diverse. The original program was just to introduce a new truck, and the success from that morphed into, uh, much like the truck evolved, uh, it evolved into Team Run Smart. Okay, and Heather Heather Dunn also writes articles. Um, she's from ATBS. Uh, I, I'm, I I hope I'm correct on that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she gets yeah quite I thought a bit so. Of input she, from I, ATBS. Yeah, she she has some some pretty good articles um, on the website. So uh, if, if people are interested in you know about that side, the financial side, uh, it's got a lot of good information. On there, um, I just want to embarrass you a little bit tonight, um, Henry, if you don't mind. Um, I just want to make the announcement that um, this past match, Travel Centers of America, um, TA Petro Shopping Center Facilities, announced its first annual Citizen Driver Award recipients. And um, let's see, you've inspired that this is. Uh, uh, from the executive vice president, you've inspired pride and respect to the industry by your actions and your attitudes, said Barry Richards, executive vice president. You were one of seven recipients of that award, and you have the Henry Albert Laredo Travel Center in your name. And um, I, I want to mention all the other people, also the other six recipients. Uh, Jimmy Artis, who um, I had the pleasure to meet at Matt's uh, the, the previous year, he goes by the name of Monkey Gouger, and he has his Jimmy Artis Manning Travel Center in South Carolina. Linda and Bob Caffey, uh, uh, Linda and Bob Caffey North Las Vegas Stopping Center in Nevada. Uh, Charlie Endorf has the Charlie Endorf York Stopping Center in Nebraska. And I just want to mention that Linda and Bob are also members of the Team Run Smart. Uh, Jerry Fritz uh, has the Petro West Memphis Stopping Center in Arkansas. Sean Hubbard has the Sean Hubbard Ontario Stopping Center in California. And Norman Knight has the Norman Knight Columbus Travel Center in New Jersey. So we just want to congratulate you and all the other recipients. I know you must be very uh, proud of that that award being that's the first year they've done that correct yes it is and it was really quite an honor to be chosen as one of them and be nominated to even be in it to begin with that someone thought enough to nominate me uh was quite humbling being around that group of people what a what a what a great people uh you know ambassadors to the industry that's uh universally through all of them i could say they're all concerned with the image that our industry portrays to the public. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it, it is. It's a nice group of people. It's an honor uh, that the, of the nominations. And I guess you were nominated uh, among your peers, all of you. Yes. Okay. And then there was a, a vote. I mean, I don't really know how it all happened, but I just know it, it was quite an honor when I read it. And I think I saw it in Overdrive's article. I think Todd Dills wrote an article about it. So. Oh, I just I I just had to embarrass you a little bit tonight, but anyway. <laughs> no, I think that's pretty cool. I don't have a truck stop named after me. Uh, well, listen, okay, team team run smart. You know, uh, you know, you said something about regulations a little while ago, and oh, we just lost Jimmy, but he'll come back up here. Um, the um, you know owner operators, you know, you know, a lot of people are upset over the 
continuous regulations that we see in this industry, um, especially regarding the requirements of newer trucks. Um, but, I mean, you guys over there, I mean, even with the regulations, everything that's put on the drivers and stuff, I mean, y'all, you, I mean, like you are seeing, uh, what, you're getting 10-plus miles per gallon in your truck, is that right? Well, my average is 9.613 for 100, and let me look at the odometer right now, 173,475 miles. Okay, so uh, you're I've getting... six months above 10, though. Okay, um, so even with the regulations, the emissions, the carbs, all, all this stuff that we hear about, I mean, you guys are still making it happen. Uh, the trucking regulations... Um, you know, a lot of them saying, well, they're not increasing fuel efficiency. You know, they're they're not lowering emissions. I mean, jump on in here, Jimmy. Let's get rolling. Team Run Smart. I mean, what are you guys doing over there? What are you seeing? And your advice to other drivers out there, especially the uh, the the newcomers to the industry that really listen to this show. Did you say Jimmy? Oh, I meant Henry. You, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I was waiting for Jimmy. That's why I paused there. Uh, yeah, that's okay. I was like, I was like, come on, Jimmy. Uh, you know, now <laughs> yeah. I look at this. My my background's in racing, and I didn't go to college. But when I when I was racing stock cars, really that was my college. When you when you went to the races every year, it was kind of a the the parallels are unbelievable. For one, the people that made the rules, most of the time or a good bit of the time, didn't even own a racetrack, usually didn't own a race car. Many of them never even raced a day in their life. Now, these are mm-hmm. the people making the rules for race cars. So you, you see the parallel there to begin with. So all right. year long when you were racing, you would lobby for the rules that you were really wanting. And at the end of the year, generally, they changed the rules somewhat every year. First thing you did when you got your set of rules was you looked at them and decided if you wanted to continue racing. Once you got past that, really it was the same rules for everybody, so you needed to spend your time figuring out how you were going to make those rules work better than anyone else. Uh, A comparison that just happened recently in racing when NASCAR came out with the car of tomorrow. It was the same car for everybody, and you heard a lot of drivers complaining, well, it doesn't handle right. Well, you're a race car driver. It doesn't handle right for any of them. Drive it better than anyone else. Two people that you never heard complain about it was Chad Knauss and Jimmy Johnson. And they went on and won five championships with the same car that everybody else was complaining about. So at the end of the day, where I see the parallels, you lobby for the rules you want. After you have them, spending the next year complaining they don't work really isn't going to help you to make them work better than anyone else. And water will always find its own level as far as how that affects rate and everything else. I'm a big believer in supply and demand straightens that all out in the end. So that's on just regulations in general. But how I really look at the emissions side, there's a lot of things that have gone on that you'd like to think we would have done on our own. And believe me, I am not a big believer in having regulation. I don't like it a bit. Um, But there's certain things that I still remember when I was a kid and going down the Schuylkill Expressway to visit my grandfather, every time many of the trucks would switch gears, the trailer would about disappear into a cloud of black smoke. When you go through these cities now and you don't have near that odor, or every year a truck show that has a lot of older trucks at it, 
especially if it's indoor, when they all fire up and your eyes water, and this just happened the other year at Dallas at the truck show, and all of them paraded out, and then some things happened, and then the new trucks started going out. Well, I was still in the building. Well, you wouldn't even known they were running. So we've come a long way. Has there been some hiccups along the way? Sure there has. Um, that's one you can compare to the car industry. We sort of went through all this before. 1971, they started reducing the compression in cars. They put in hardened valve seats and EGR, all because they were going to unleaded fuel in 1975. The performance lowered from where they were. The fuel mileage dropped. Not good things. 1975, they put catalytic converters on them, and the performance and the reliability went down the tubes. And there was a learning curve I, to go through. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I remember them tearing them off, Yes. those catalytic yes. converters. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. I have an older, like it's 1979 J.C. Whitney catalog, and you see all the gizmos that you could put on to fix those cars, which many of them worked, some of them didn't. And you see that today with us. So you got the 1975, and they threw the catalytic converters on. Well, I compare that to what we went through. In 04, they put DGR on, and performance went down. 07, you had DTF, EGR, and performance went down farther. You got to 2010, where they started putting SCR on, and cleaning up the emissions outside of the engine instead of trying to do so much of it as an in-cylinder solution, performance started coming back. You start getting into these 2014 greenhouse gas engines, and they've improved on efficiency again. So what? where I compare it to cars, in like 1982, 1983, I started noticing the cars started running better again. You get up into the 90s, and all of a sudden, you know, engines that at 100, 120,000 miles would have been near the end of their life were going 200,000, and yet it was still the same basic engine. All that really changed was how precise they were controlling the spark and the fuel mixture. So when I look at our modern-day diesel engines, and, I mean, we're going to have to wait some miles to actually see, I would compare us to we're probably similar to about 1996 or 1988 when compared to the automotive world. One of the things that um, we had spoken about prior to the show was, uh, you know, everybody gets upset about regulations. And I found it interesting you brought up the unleaded gas. And that yes. was really a big deal. Everybody wanted leaded gas. And you, you think about that, that's a scary thought now that we know you know, all the problems with lead and and what it can do to you. And yet, people fought that. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, anybody wants to look it up, Google up tetraethyl lead. <laughs> and, you know, sadly, the people that worked for the plant, and I believe it was in Delaware, if my memory serves me right, all died from just being around it where they worked. And yet people were, yeah. yeah, And yet people were really upset when they were, as though the lead was going to um, work miracles for their automobile. And now that there wasn't lead in their gasoline, you know, everything was going to go to pot. And 
I mean, I was I was I was pretty young when that happened, but I still remember. I I mean, I remember my dad like, oh yeah, don't get that gas down there, you know. <laughs> I I remember my stepfather, and when I think about it, it wasn't the brightest move, but we ended up getting a farm tank so that we were able to get leaded fuel up into the 1980s. So wow. Looking looking back on it, and and I look back, and you did some things that probably you shouldn't have done around the farm, but you had leaded fuel, and you were washing parts off in it and stuff like that, things that you probably shouldn't have done to start with because you should use solvent, not a gasoline, but, you know, sometimes on the farm things happen that shouldn't. Well, I mean, it's just it's just a good example, like you said, the auto industry. I mean, it had... Had a lot of changes during those years that were not readily accepted, but now it has shown to lead to greater fuel mileage. Uh, the autos are more mechanically sound, lower emissions, you know, all so forth. Uh, so I guess what you're saying is the recent trucking regulations, uh, kind of looking at them the same way, you know. Well, we're, we're not ready to accept all these changes, but down the road we might we we will see you know, that those changes were actually, you know, good. But I guess it's the initial cost of all these things, especially for owner-operators, motor carriers. I mean, you're getting uh, this high mileage. You're, uh, you know, you guys over at Team Run Smart, you know what you're doing. So, I mean, have these regulations saved? Are they, Is it saving owner-operators dollars, or is that going to be down the road? Or what's your thoughts on that? My thought on it really is, and, and, you know, we're going to have to see which year to where they got it figured out. Just running the Detroit, which I am, it seems as though they figured it out. But they were the first one to build an engine around the emissions instead of putting Band-Aids on a current engine. So that sort of gave them a little bit of a leap there. Uh, I think in the end, if you're more precise with your fuel, you look at how much back when the me- mechanical engines it wasn't uncommon for engines to get overhauled 400, 450,000. I just ended up going through some old magazines in the basement that I had stored away, and I didn't want to go through them, but a water leak made it that I had to. And I ran across this ad where, you know, they were talking about 1,450 foot-pound of torque being hill flattening, which was kind of funny because that's like at the bottom end of the spectrum now. And there was a oil ad in there, and they were really proud of the fact that they had 450,000 miles out of an engine without an overhaul. So when you look Mm. at the first electronic engines, which would have been your Detroit Series 60s when they came out, everybody predicted that, oh, these electronically controlled engines are just going to be sitting everywhere around on the side of the road broken down. Well, it didn't turn out that way. As a matter of fact, it ended up being where that became more of them making it over a million miles than anything. So what did that come from? To me, it can only come from the more precise you have the fuel-burning process, which is what makes a clean engine, the longer it's going to last because you're not getting as much contaminants into the oil, you know, and et cetera down the line. So just like the cars, uh, my in-laws had a 3.8-liter Buick V6 that dated back to the 60s. They had like 275,000 miles on that engine. What was different between that and the one from the 60s? It's all the emissions. It's how precise the fuel goes in, how precise the spark was at the right time. Same deal goes on to the electronics of what they've had to figure out in these engines to clean them up. 
Okay, well, well, you know, you're you're driving a 2013 Freightliner Cascadia Evolution, right? Correct. That's it. So, what about the old boy or gal out there that's still driving the 90, 96, 97 Freightliner? There's a lot of Freightliners on the road, you know, and and a lot a lot of 96s, you know, around in there. And you're getting over nine miles per gallon. In a lot of cases, you're getting over ten miles per gallon. I mean, what about the the driver out there that doesn't have a 2013 model. I mean, how are they going? How how can they obtain this 10 plus mile per gallon like you guys are getting? Well, I don't think they'll be able to get to that number. But part of that now, truth in saying, I, I'm driving a 2000. Well, it was built in 12 as a 2014, and it's registered as a 13. So I have a 12. 13, okay. 14. <laughs> so in reality, I have combined everything I can that's available from the truck, the trailer, all the way to the rear license plate of the truck. So mine's really a high watermark of if you put all these pieces together, which brings me up one of the regulations, I think, with what California does, it holds people back. I have side skirts, trailer tail, wheel covers, nose cone, and people say, well, I don't need that stuff because I don't go to California. Well, that's really true. They don't need it because they don't go to California. But guess what? It works in Texas, Virginia, Florida. It still <laughs> right. works. You don't have to go to California for it to work. So, And the payback on most of that stuff is under six months. Well, after six months, it turns into money in the bank. Well, that's, that's pretty easy to deal with. So this truck that I'm running now, I would say, is easily – I'm always pulling my really good trailer – I'd say it's easily well up into the eights what is what it would do if I didn't have that trailer behind me. Um, because And it's six by two, it's direct drive transmission, not running an overdrive. That's two to three percent, two to three percent for the tag. Uh, another three or four percent for what they've, the changes they made on the engine with the electronically controlled water pump that it doesn't even spin faster than it has to. They revised the pistons in it for lower friction, 1030 oil, all the little aerodynamic tweaks that they made to the truck that added another 5%. So you get around a lot of these people that are drivers with their trucks, and they're like, well, that doesn't make much difference, and this doesn't make much difference. And, and they're right. They're absolutely correct. Each one of those things doesn't make much difference. But when you cumulatively put them all together, the difference is huge. Yeah, so it's just a matter of utilizing the technology, Donna. That's what we, you know we were talking about earlier before the show. Just, I mean, the technology is there. You just got to have that initial upfront cost, which in some cases isn't that much. But utilizing the technology, and that's what's going to get you. Even if you now, I'm looking forward to when we get Jimmy in here because uh, now, if I'm right, Donna, he, um, yeah, Jimmy hauls intermodal rail containers in Southern California, so we'll hear a lot about California there. But just utilizing te technology, Donna, like we were talking about earlier before the show, that's the thing. Well, I know. And one of the things that we had spoken of earlier, um, Henry, was uh, you placed your license plate differently. And, and, I mean, it's such a small thing, but you found <laughs> out the, it, the aerodynamics of it. Um, you want to share that? Yeah, typically on a trailer – they have the license plate mounted right below the taillights, right in the airstream. Well, it turns out we started doing a little bit of math on that, 
and, and it's a wide range, and, and even this number is hard to measure over a year's period. But it turns out that it's worth four to seven hundred dollars a year. Well, let's mm-hmm. say it's not that. Let's just say they raised our trailer tags up one hundred and fifty dollars for next year. Well, we'd be mm-hmm. jumping up and down, and that's highway robbery and everything else. But yet we hang it in the wind all year. You know, just something to think about. The other thing I did is uh, on the top of the roof that was a little tweak, I plated over the rain gutter, and I have all my mud flaps trimmed to fit wide base singles. Even uh, one study I read having your uh, mud flap brackets on the tractor 45 at the end, the way the air flows over the corner of the tire as it forms a vacuum back there, was worth $200 every 100,000 miles when fuel was $2 a gallon. Is that big to an operation? No, but you start finding 5, 10, 15 of these, and many of them don't cost you anything. You're, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars a year. Oh, absolutely. I mean, let me ask you, do you have an article on um, on your Team Run Smart blog that, you know, combines all these little little things that you've done to save on fuel that people could reference? Uh, the, my current blog that just went up today mentions some of them. Um, mm-hmm. There's one that if you go back in the archives, uh, I called it Trucking's 4-Minute Mile, and that's when I first started hitting 10s. And what mm-hmm. was, I compared it to the uh, running world. They thought that the 4-Minute Mile was unattainable by a human being. And the funny thing that happened is once that record got broke, it got broke several times right after that. Uh in trucking circles, you know, 10 miles of the gallon was sort of our four-minute mile, so that's why I titled it that. That goes into a lot of how I got there. Um, if you go back, the other one is these go to 11. That was the first 11 miles of the gallon tank full I had, and it goes into a lot of that. Okay. Well, I don't know if you're in the chat room. I'm so frustrated right now because this this has only happened to me a couple of other times, and I just can't get in. And Usually what I do is I post links to articles while I'm in the chat room for people who are in there. But for some reason, I'm just not connecting tonight. I'm wondering if it's just me or if there's a lot of other people who are experiencing this. It um, may be because, uh, I mean, I'm in there. We have a few in there. Heather's in there, but usually there's, a, there's quite a bit. There might be some kind of – I'm not having a problem, but maybe some others is. But, Henry, how do, pe- how do people get to your blog? Uh, TeamRunSmart.com. Okay, that's it. it. One of, well, we have a banner, too, on our, on our Ask the Trucker, and they can just click on uh, – Click on the banner also right on Ask the Trucker, but otherwise just go to TeamRunSmart.com and then it has like uh, it's really a you know it's a well laid out blog so you can just click on all the different uh, uh, members there and they each have a blog and according to their specialties so it's uh, it's 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 pretty well well uh, organized over there. Okay, um, the I'm easiest way to find archived. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. The easiest no, way ahead. to find archived articles that the other Team Run Smart members did is across the heading. There's a section, the pros. You click on that, and then it has each of the person's names. If you click on that and then go take me to the blog, you can go back through older stuff. Right, right. Um, you know, we, we were having a contest tonight, and like I said, I don't know if this um, – if this is a problem tonight, but we were having a contest. We're giving away um, Tony Justice's uh, CD, Apple Pie Moonshine, and we were going to write in 
the question. Alan, I guess you can write it. I can't write, write it in because I can't get in there. I can write it in. I mean, we have we have guests in there. I mean, they can't participate. Heather's in there. I mean, Heather just might be the winner automatically. But Yeah, because if, if you're a guest in there, you, you have to have a login and password. Let's give them a few minutes to set up a login and password so that they can um, be a part okay. of the contest. So All if right. you're listening, just just start your login and password with Blog Talk Radio. We'll give you a few minutes. All right. Let's grab a caller from Oregon, area code 971. Welcome to the show. Go ahead. Hey, this is Michael Harrington, the political trucker. And, hey, uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. So um, I'm also hoping to get on to the uh, CNG portion of the uh, talk today. But uh, the uh, the smart trucking is interesting. I'm, I'm definitely going to look at the uh, Freightliner forums. But uh, in all things, there's also a, a cost coefficient. If you're getting rid of your truck soon, upgrading might not be the most wisest thing. And you got to look at everything from every standpoint. Uh, you know, how much you're using a truck, what are you using it for, where are you using it, can have a major impact upon your, your savings with new technologies. Um, you know, Canadian drivers versus Texas drivers. Those kind of things, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that these are being pointed out in the uh, forums and in the uh, different talks and discussions because it, it can have a major standpoint. Okay, how, how about it, Henry? Y'all, y'all covered those, those things Absolutely. in the floor? Okay. Even, in our, even within our group, there's quite a bit of diversity. I'm generally not really that terribly heavy. However, I'm loaded all the time. I'm, uh, I load and reload at the same dock. So I'm generally between 60 and 65,000 pounds, which turns out to be higher than when they check what the average scale weight of a truck is. So... I'm just like a good average general freight guy. We have Jeff Clark. He pulls for paper transport and has a lot of heavier loads and deals with the cold air and Wisconsin and all that side. And he's pulling just company trailers, not fully arrowed out and tricked out the way I am. And he still averages up in the eights. Uh, we got Jimmy, who uh, operates intermodal locally out of Southern California which is a whole different operation. And Joey Slaughter, he pulls a step deck flatbed, just started doing that, so not a lot of track record behind that. He previously was a car carrier, so you don't get much higher drag than that. And Bob and Linda Caffey, who run an expediter with a custom sleeper. So there's quite a bit of diversity within our group. Okay. Okay, good. Hey, did you have a, I mean, Jimmy's on the line. Did you have a, a particular question real quick about the CNG? I don't want you to miss anything. Well, I, I have, you know, a, a lot of uh, country um, talking because I, I really think that it's not ready for prime time. I think that it's it's going to be a local fleet and a route thing, uh, but it's never going to, you know, for 20 years at least, it's never really going to be a big thing for any kind of fleets like Swift or night transportation just in their local departments and, and their dedicated routes. It's not going to be in their OTR departments because it's, it's a maintenance night. Think of how many mechanics they've got to get trained in order to handle all of the United States. Well, I mean, to address, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, to address no, that's okay. That I, was gonna, I, was, I was going to say, just jump on in here, Jimmy. What do you think? All right. 
Uh, with, with, I definitely, you know, want to agree with you there um, that, that as an over-the-road option, and especially at its current infrastructure with the fueling networks, it, it is definitely more of a local, regional, uh, you know, it's more palatable that way at this point. And, and me running a local operation, I definitely see that. Uh, I happen to be in one of the hot spots for CNG, so, so for me it's not as, as, you know, touch and go. I have plenty of stations where I'm at, and, you know, anywhere I need, I have my own map book of stations that I've printed out. But I definitely see, you know, when you say dedicated routes, that, that's actually where it's going to become more viable is for fleets with dedicated routes because they're going to be able to predict the, the time and, and fueling network in between those dedicated routes and dedicated stops. Where I don't see it in the near future is, is, is a total, complete over-the-road operation. Um, although, you know, the fueling infrastructure is taking off. I mean, it is growing exponentially. So, so we're still to tell what's actually going to happen with the infrastructure when it comes to CNG, LNG. Um, as, as for the mechanics, I, I definitely see, I mean, we have, we have as, as the United States knows, a shortage of regular mechanics, but we are adding, uh, we are adding more CNG mechanics and CNG certified shops as we build the, the current fleet of trucks. I mean, we have a certain number of trucks out on the road now that are CNG, and, and those are serviceable. I mean, there are dealers within almost every area. Uh, every OEM that's uh, CNG certified. So what we're going to do with that is as we add trucks to the market for CNG, they're also going to add mechanics. It's not like we're going to have this flood of, you know, 50,000 trucks overnight that come out CNG. We're, we're actually going to see, you know, a slow increase in, in the number of trucks on the road because you can only build them so fast. But as they take, as they take flight on the road, yeah, as, as they take flight in, on off onto the road, we're going to see more mechanics added to that and more certified shops. There is one more worry that I, I do have, um, and that's going to be the first major accident where the CNG uh, starts to go up, um, because uh, as we all know, there are opponents to the idea of CNG, and they're going to try to utilize anything they can to uh, attack it to keep the, the current way going. And I'm wondering if people are actually thinking about that first catastrophe and planning the the basically the alter to the property end as it's going to come out. Um, you know, I'm I'm also the kind of guy that you know it, when it comes to new technology, we're always going to have the naysayers and we're always going to have the the opponents to it. So you can find a truck out there that's powered on water and you can fill it tanks with water and someone's going to find a way to make a major catastrophe scenario out of that. So um, for me, I basically haul, you know, I haul hazmat once in a while. Most of us have hauled hazmat. It's CNG. It's not going to be readily explosive unless it is, and this is a, you know, worst case scenario, released into a confined space. So in the, in the aspect that everybody thinks that it is just a big rolling explosive, it's actually the tanks that I have are built by Agility, and they are the company that is leading the forefront in building these tanks. And what happens with them is they are one of the only or few manufacturers that has gone and done crash testing with these tanks. So you can actually go. There's a, there's a wealth of information online about the crash testing that they have done. And there's, there's certain, you know, they are, they are aluminum tanks wrapped in carbon fiber. So they are definitely strong, and they are going to, to hold through a crash. If it does vent, it vents into the atmosphere where there is not a, 
I mean, a significant chance of any explosive happen, happening. There are also vent lines on these so that if there is an overpressure scenario and something does, you know, increase the pressure in the tank, it will actually vent out into the atmosphere safely through these vent lines. And what about the fuel lines themselves? Fuel lines themselves, like I said, we could go into scenarios, you know, all day long for the mystery scenarios, but with any fuel, you're actually going to have any risk of fire or explosion. So it doesn't matter well, yeah, what the truck is going to run on. I just had three fuel lines replaced in the last uh, two years on an old peak, you know, so just fuel lines was the, a thing that I was thinking of. Well, you're going to have you're you're talking about a whole different kind of system though too, and and not being an engineer, but getting into the fact that that fuel actually can eat through things. Fuel can dissolve things. Fuel can. Th this is a gas. So what we're talking about yep. in a gas is just a sealed system, and you're not going to have those same breakdown qual qualities that you're going to have out of a fuel, out of a liquid fuel, I should say. Okay, okay, let me add something. To let, let me I'm add just on the record of worrying about the, you know, pushing it as a subsidized uh, product and trying to get it to be mainstream via government intervention. I'm all for free market. I love what Flying J seems to be doing. It seems that they're doing yeah. it on their own. I'm not 100% sure about that. But, you know, um, I, you know, if the market wants to move that way, I have no problems with that. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there's a lot of worry that I have in trying to push it unnaturally, if you will. Jimmy, let me add something to this with what you're saying. One of the trucks yeah, that yeah. Uh, where Jeff Clark's leased on, uh, I believe it rear-ended another truck where it burnt the truck to the ground, and it was a CNG truck, and it did exactly like it was supposed to. It vented it off, and it ended up not being a catastrophe. And the thing that I always go back to is we see plenty of, propane trailers and all sorts of trailers that have massive amounts of flammable or explosive, whether it's gas, propane, diesel fuel, that already is, you know, just in a regular many thousands of gallons behind the truck. So from that aspect, I really don't see a major difference. The engine is actually burning some of it. Right. I, I, well, that's like Alan. You know, he hauls uh, diesel and gas, uh, and people are always saying, "Oh, you drive a time bomb." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, it's part of it, you know. But you know, hey, let's, um, Henry. Let me ask him just real quick, and we'll we'll uh, jump in here with Jimmy again, and then we'll we'll grab a caller from Vermont. Um, Based on your expertise, what you blog about your your uh, your area for team team run smart, um, what's the main message that you would like to get a, across to uh, our listeners of the show? Well, it, mine's really the two main issues that I deal with is mostly image combined in with business and fuel efficiency. Um, that that's I, I've been at the fuel game long before it was cool to be doing that. Uh, what motivated me on that was many of the other countries that send us fuel or sell us fuel, they don't just send it, aren't really that particularly fond of us. And my real motivator at the beginning was I want to use less of this fuel. I also have a 20-year-old son that I'm trying to leave him a better place to inherit than what I had. So... You know, using less of the resources is just part of that. Um, and it, 
and the other part where I mess around a lot with aerodynamics on that side, which I really enjoy, and really the message behind that is with with all the battles that we have in the flight in this industry, there's plenty to deal with government regulations, uh, insurance companies, cars on the highway, traffic conditions, weather conditions, brokers, shippers, as well as many more battles to fight. I don't want to pick a flight with the very air itself. So mm-hmm. I do everything I can to minimize how much I disturb the air. And turns out something I wasn't really going after there turns out to be a safety aspect of that. Because when you get everything really aero the way my truck and trailer is, I hardly have any rain spray. So that's a good thing. Yeah, and and your guys, all this information... For everybody listening to know that will listen through the archives, we get a ton, ton of listeners through the archive. Donna, do you notice we're almost at the 300,000 listener mark? Yeah. We're I getting there. That. We're close. <laughs> uh, you can go to Henry and Jimmy and Jeff Clark. Everybody's blog, uh, teamrunsmart.com, and just click on their blog. And uh, all this information and everything that they've tried and proven, I'm sure, is down through there. So a lot of good information on how you can run uh, – smart too as these guys do and so let's say i let me look here okay listen we'll take a quick break and uh we'll come back with jimmy navarez i think there's a a lot of um, good points we want to bring up about cng pros and cons and uh people are very interested in that so we'll take a quick break and we will be right back so hang with us you're listening to truth about trucking live on blog talk radio Alan Smith will be right back. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it truckertotrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. Truckertotrucker.com. Check it out. That's truckertotrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here with the Truth About Trucking Live, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas, but they never work for trucking companies. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website truckerlawyers.com is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash truckerlawyers and follow them on Twitter as at truckerlawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. And when you call Trucker truckerlawyers.com. Be sure to mention that you heard about them on Truth About Trucking Live. There's a lot of copycats out there, but you know, there's only one. Truth About Trucking Live. Now, back to the show. All 
right, welcome back. We're talking with Henry Albert and Jimmy Navarez, two members of the uh, Freightliners team Run Smart. Let's grab a caller from Vermont, area code 802. Go ahead. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey Alan. How are you? Donna? Hello, John. Hey. Is this John? That's me. From face- John from Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> I I knew you were going to call tonight because you were so interested in the CNG portion, and I just thought, oh, I have a feeling John's going to call it. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think Alan kind of twisted my arm a little bit. <laughs> uh, I I just want to say I got um my my big problem with everything right now is that I guess the shift is to get away from diesel fuel. Uh, because of the cost and it, it, to the uh, environmental problems associated with it. And my understanding is with the EPA, it, their push is to uh, virtually eliminate greenhouse gases over the course of this century. Um, in order to have any impact on the environment, we have to stop producing greenhouse gases. So the technology is just going to keep changing and changing and changing and how are we supposed to keep up with this and we really haven't zeroed in on an alternative fuel to run the trucks which just like in the experimental stages with everything so I'm well, we're going through all this transition it's costing us a fortune I mean, and well this came it's up really in our last it's, show I mean, it's really created in a kind of an unlevel playing field because you got the ones out there who can afford to invest in the technology and get the eight, nine, ten miles to the gallon to get these trucks, or other people who can run uh, CNG trucks, and then you got others who are still stuck, uh, you know, with the trucks getting five, six miles to the gallon or, or less. So it, it's really making it very hard to compete because you got such a wide variety of things out there now, and. Uh, I mean, um, I mean, we're really in a volatile situation. Plus, even if we zero in on another type of fuel, isn't it just going to fall back to the old supply and demand thing, where the uh, demand is going to drive up the cost again? If all of a sudden we find out that, yeah, we can have all CNG trucks, now all of a sudden the, the price shoots back up again because of the demand for it. So where does it end? I mean. Um, and, and this is my whole big problem with the EPA. The EPA hasn't, you know, told us what the end game is. I mean, I'm hearing that the end game is until we eliminate greenhouse gases, which is, my opinion, virtually impossible, that the regulations are going to keep coming on and they're, and they're going to keep getting uh, more stringent and more stringent. Uh, so... You know, I'd be happier if they'd say, if somebody would come along and say, okay, uh, this is what our goal is, and when we achieve it, everything's just going to level off, and then we're going to be able to adapt to it. But nobody's saying it's ready to stop, that we've reached our goal and it's stopped. We still haven't reached our goals yet, and I'm not even sure what the goals are other than to eliminate the use of fossil fuels completely. So, well, those are all good points. I mean, and that's what uh, those things are on uh, people's a lot of minds. Jimmy, what do you think? You know, I, I definitely, you know, in, in my lifetime, we probably won't see the elimination of fossil fuels. Um, the reason that I have uh, taken such a passion to the natural gas is because 
it is a domestic fuel. And we are, when it comes down to it, the United States is the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. We have reserves enough to supply our, our needs into the future. And, and I know it all comes down to supply and demand, like you say, but when you come down to the number one fuel is diesel. I mean, that's probably going to remain, and, and probably through my lifetime, diesel for on-road, over-the-road applications will most likely stay the most viable source and the most popular. But it is also the most volatile. You wake up in the morning, you see a news story about one of our oil-supplying nations, and you wonder, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen to the pump price this week? You know, or what's going to happen to the pump price in the next month? Is it going to jump another 50 cents to a dollar? You know, especially in California, we have such a, you know, oh, such wow. a volatile market when it comes to fuel. Um, you know, the price, what it is, 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 is it's the price component of that fuel that make it so volatile. Because, if, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty darn sure it's over 50% of the price is controlled by the fuel itself when it comes to diesel fuel. So when the price of a barrel of oil gets raised, it's going to affect it that much more. Now, when it comes to natural gas, the price, and this you can quote me on, is 20% of natural gas, its price. Only 20% of it is comprised of the price of the natural gas itself, and it's domestic, so it is far less volatile. All right. Uh, what would Michael... For the end, now, 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 I'm sorry, uh, Michael, as for the end game, you know, it, it, it's going to become it's going to become almost a... a a turtle race to the finish of what's going to be the most viable for certain operations. You know, so when I say that diesel is going to stay probably through my lifetime as number one for over the road, that will probably remain true. But when it comes to other applications, such as regional, local, dedicated, and then other operations within that, depending on what you haul, it, it's going to become different options for different people, unfortunately. You know, it, it's, going to, it's going to affect other people differently than, than their neighbor. Well, I think I think what uh, John is saying is, what, when is it going to end? Where I think owner operators are feeling like, with all the new mandates, like we had a show right after the president announced the DOT and the EPA were going to, you know, come up with more fuel efficient, uh, less uh, emissions, and I don't believe that that really has been announced yet of of what that's going to be. Does does anybody know? I mean, I, I don't think it, the announcement came of what that second phase was going to be. Um, however, I, I know people are you know worried like if they invest now, you know what happens uh, then? Do they have to invest more? And I think. I think that's what John is saying. It's like, okay, if we knew when it's going to stop, then you if, can. If, if I may, put if, your... if I may, Donna. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Donna, if I may, the uh, what I'm getting at is you have a, a, a wider range now of uh, people who can run, operate differently. Like I said, you can operate on different types of fuel. You can get better mm-hmm. fuel miles depending on your equipment and everything else. But we still have these rates that are kind of one size fits, fits all. So, you know, if you really want to make the most out of what you earn, you've got to have the best and the latest in order to, you know, uh, maximize your profits. So, you know, I mean, it would be great if we were able to have a variety of different fuels and uh, each application was different, but then you have, a, a, you know, the rates are, are pretty well, uh, you know, 
they're stagnant, and also they're kind of, you know, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, they're kind of they're the same all over the country. It's not like it's not like the rates change because you're able to run more fishery or you're running out of less natural gas as opposed to diesel fuel. So how do you remain competitive in an environment like this? Where number one, the technology keeps changing, and number two, you know, uh, some places are able to run more productive than others only because of. Uh, you know the size of their fleets or whatever they have available, uh, you know, access to. Um, so I'm not, you know, this is what concerns me a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, we're struggling here to try to figure out a way of making more money, and uh, you know, it's not as easy for some of us as it is for others. Uh, you know, to lay our hands on the type of technology we need to remain efficient and uh, profitable. Can I chime in on that a little, Donna? Sure. Yeah, I'm going to let you, Henry, because, I mean, that's really a good point. I mean, you know, you guys, I mean, not everybody has these big, fancy, brand-new trucks. I mean, there's so many small motor carriers out there, Jim Bob's trucking across the street, you know, that keeps their trucks together with Bob wire. I mean, how, <laughs> uh, I mean, go ahead. What, what's your thoughts? How what was John, well, what he was saying? You know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I got asked a question one time at the Economic Summit in uh, Louisville several years ago. And I was a two-truck operation at that point. I had one owner-operator leased to me. And I was up there with some of the well-known big carriers. I'm not going to mention names, but they're some of the bigger ones. And they had me representing the small fleet and owner-operator guy. And they, they all had these long answers to questions that I wasn't sure what they said after they were done because it was a big circle. But it, 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 after a bit, a question got put to me was, how does a small two-truck operation like you compete with the mega carriers? Well, for one, the last DOT statistics, the big mega carriers, we'll call the over 5,000 truck motor carrier, only amounts for 0.7 of the truck population. 97.3% mm -hmm. of the trucks that are on the road come from fleets of 20 or less. Then when you consider how many owner-operators are leased to a big carrier, which in that time you count as part of their number, makes that even more skewed. Uh, Overdrive just put out a report that showed the average truck owner only owns, and don't quote me on this number, but I want to say it was 1.48 trucks. It wasn't more than 1.7. So when you get down to that, really we are the one that's controlling the market collectively, uh, they, they said, how do I compete with them? I said, well, let me see. To start with, I don't have the overhead of a terminal. I don't have the overhead of management. My trucks last me longer. I'm able to drive for better fuel mileage than they are. My tires last longer. My maintenance costs are less. I said, granted, they may get discounts on some of them things, but they really need that if they want to compete with a carrier like me. Plus, I'm able to get better service than they are and generally get a higher rate. So when you really look at it, the disadvantage to me is on the big carriers. They need all the help they want if they want to try and compete with us mom-and-pop people because we can change around on a dime like a chameleon when you're trying to switch out a 7,000-truck fleet to something more efficient or find drivers that will drive them in an efficient manner where you, don't, you can't watch every truck. And you, Like on today, a beautiful day where I'm sitting here in the parking lot where there's no way you would need an engine running. And I'm standing here looking at almost every engine in the parking lot sitting there idling that are of those big company names. 
and that's a very very valid point uh the driver uh control as far as you know how they care for the truck and understand how to save the fuel and educating the driver about that um that's a that's a huge point and i've heard that many times so did that answer your question john it did, and it, it makes very good sense, and um, I do appreciate that because, uh, you know, I guess I, I really didn't look at it that way, but I, I think now that uh, he brings it up, um, it, it uh, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to be uh, more productive than the big companies uh, because, you know, when, when I, I'm running my own truck and I'm my own, you know, boss and everything, I have a lot less overhead than what they're dealing with. They're dealing with the driver, the insurance for the driver, the uh, cost of the new, equ- new equipment, the, the yards, the uh, management staff. You know, they, they have a lot of overhead to deal with. So, yeah, I, I could see that point. John, oh, one other thing to add to that, that I happen to pick up at a lot of places that are dropping hooks for the large carriers. Right. And, you know, everybody says, oh, they got a big advantage, they're dropping and hooking. Well, when I see the jockeys dragging their tires around, and I see yeah. the jockeys banging the trailers into each other and looking at the amount of damage that right. incurred. And you know how much profit's made on a load. I sit there and I count, man, they just hauled a lot of loads just to pay for the damage that happened in the parking lot in the three hours that I was sitting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, John. Hey, really appreciate it. Uh, you calling in and listening. And hey, somebody in the chat room just won. Tony Justice's CD, newest CD, Apple Pie, oh, I put Apple Moonshine, <laughs> Apple Pie Moonshine. Uh, Abby Dyer uh, got the uh, question first, just just barely beating out Heather Lawrence Blair, but Abby Dyer wrote back and said, thanks, but give it to Heather. So Heather... I think we'll give them both the uh, the CD. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, see, Donna's really the boss around here. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm cheap, you know. Hey, just give one CD away, okay? All right, so Abby and uh, Heather, okay, you both will get uh, Tony's uh, newest CD, Apple Pie Moonshine. So thanks for playing. That was kind of fun, and we enjoyed doing that. And, what was the question? I couldn't Oh, yeah, see. that's what I meant to do. And the question was that I put only for those in the uh, – the, uh, chat let's see let me find it uh question what was the name of tony's first cd and what year did it come out and the correct answer rock and rusty 2003 uh so anyway and abby also has a question let's see how much um and i believe uh jimmy this is for you for the cng how much training does a driver get for dealing with fueling the cng truck and taking care of it um, you know, that varies by carrier as well. Um, I mean, some carriers have extensive programs that already have implemented CNG technology quite, quite, you know, throughout their local and regional fleet. Uh, myself, um, I can be honest with you, I've, I've done it in my blogs and said that I've learned most of my CNG fueling techniques from YouTube. But um, I spent probably a good week and a half of solid studying uh, every kind of CNG video or tip online that I could find before I could possession the truck and then stumbled upon, you know, a gentleman with Freightliner that specializes in the CNG technology. He's been a great help uh, getting me, steering me in the right way and getting everything nailed out for me and, and getting me dialed into the truck so that I can gain better efficiency out of it. Well, well somebody comes along and wants to jump in a CNG truck, you know, like you, and run it, I mean, 
um, they, there has to be some kind of training involved. I mean, they don't just throw you in there and send you out there. There's there's not a lot more meat, uh, you know, maintenance training, truck training. I mean, it's, there, there's not much more than a regular standard diesel truck. Uh, when it comes to CNG fueling, every station that I've been to has a tutorial for fueling. That's the number one thing that's different. But to tell you the truth, that's not all too different from fueling your car or, you know, your pickup truck or even your big rig with diesel. Um, it, it's as simple as just taking the safety precaution, shutting off your motor, hooking it up, and the pump does the work for you, fills it up, you shut down the pump and put the nozzle back on. It's, you know, there's only a couple other things. There's draining the, the filters that catch the oil from the fuel and, you know, if you get a little bit of dirty fuel in there. Um, and just maintaining, you know, knowing what your regulators are supposed to be blowing at and set at. Um, so there's not much more to it than, than I mean, you're, you're typically driving another engine that, you know, performs like a diesel engine. Uh, and I say perform usually because you do have to retrain yourself to drive the truck itself, just like any other truck if you jump from one engine powertrain combination to another, you're going to have to retrain yourself to drive that truck uh, for, for best efficiency. So uh, I, okay, I know that's so. driven, driven many different trucks, so that's definitely it's going to be a lot of self-training. Um, but, but mainly, uh, you know, I'm new to the CNG stuff, so I'm not sure what the carriers are doing, but I'm sure they have pretty extensive training programs for the drivers getting those trucks. Well, I noticed you were talking with Diana Dutton. I'm looking at the thread on... Um on Alan's Facebook page now, and she said she was putting a timer on. She didn't want to miss this show because she loves her CNG truck, and I was hoping she'd call in tonight and uh, talk a little bit about it. So um, if you're on the line, Diane, I, I can't see the chat room, so I don't know if you're in there. But I'd um, love to chat with her, too. She's got a beautiful truck. Yeah, and I know she really wanted to be on the show. So, you know, I mean, she's a trucker. You never know what's going on on the road. Maybe she just couldn't, you know, make the show. That's, you know, just the way it is. But, um, yeah, I was hoping she'd be able to call in. She's She was really waiting for this show for like two weeks now. So, <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Jimmy, you know, you brought about fueling, you know. I mean, let's talk a little bit about this, What the, the pros and cons. I mean, um the pros outweigh the cons, in your opinion. I mean, you know, I, I, first thing I think of is a bit availability of fuel locations. Um, but, but since you now, how long have you been driving that CNG? I've had the CNG for three months, um, and what I do is basically pros and cons. The, the pros do outweigh the cons thus far. With the fueling infrastructure, you want to make sure you're in a metropolitan area. You want to make sure that you have an ample amount, and, and there are certain websites that I use to do that. Um, so what I do is I printed up myself a map book of the sites within a 50-mile radius of where I'm at that, that I, I would like to choose to fuel at based on price and based on accessibility for my truck and trailer combination. So we have some sites out here in California that are built for passenger cars because when CNG went big at first out here, it was passenger vehicles with county, city, municipalities, trash trucks, buses. So a lot of these are either privately owned or private-public partnerships. And what what you want to do is make sure, and I've done the legwork in my own personal car going around to make sure I can get into each one of these stations with 75-feet truck and trailer. That, that, to me, was the biggest con, was the fueling station. The, the biggest pro to me is reducing my operating costs. 
Um, I'm, I'm seeing reductions right now, and, and we're not even, you know, toe deep into the break-in period for the engine. And I'm seeing anywhere from 10 to 15 cents immediately off of my operating cost cents per mile. Well, you, well, you did a study of the CNG cost per mile versus diesel cost per mile. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How'd that come out? Uh, what I did was I, I basically compared what I had, which was the Cascadia Evolution, and doing the same line of work, local work. And I all, once I got the CNG truck, I took the first two and a half months of stats for that and compared them across the board to what I was spending on fuel alone. So I came up with a substantial savings, and when it came out to, at the end of the year, being that I run about 1,000 miles per week locally, I could see anywhere from six to $7,000 worth of savings throughout the course of the year. Wow. Well, I, let's see. You had it over here, Donna, the CNG cost per mile. 59, I think it was, 50, and uh, 66 for diesel. Yeah, 59 yes. cents for the CNG and diesel cost per mile, 66, and... Uh, well, yeah, we even figured that. Well, if that's a, even at a hundred thousand miles a year, that's seven thousand dollars in your pocket. And that's for so that's also for, for for some of my Facebook followers that I have, Facebook friends, they have actually seen me post some of my tank fools at cents per mile cost of down in the forties. So so we're as I get used to the truck, like I said, and retrain myself to drive it properly, we're actually seeing even bigger gains. Which which is you know I can only foresee once I actually break in the engine what we're gonna what we're gonna have. Yeah, what do you? What's your thoughts on you know everybody? And let's say we'll grab a call from Missouri here in just a second. What's your thoughts on uh, you know? Uh, I don't give it much thought because I haul gas. You know, there's not not much more <laughs> anything much more than explosive than gas. But uh, the drivers who you know look well, you know, it, it, it's just too dangerous. It's 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 too explosive, too combustible. What's your thoughts on that? If drivers out there are thinking, you know, well, maybe I'll give it a try, but they have uh, a little bit leery of, you know, the explosive act, uh, aspect of it. You know, I urge them to, to look into the safety testing that's been done. Um, I urge them to look into the, and, and everybody thinks it's such a new technology, look into the work that they've done in the past with automobiles, trash trucks, buses, um, and all the safety testing that's been done there as well. And then if you decide that it's not for you, then it just may not be for you. I mean, it, it's, CNG is going to take certain applications, and it's going to benefit certain people. So you want to take that into, into account. I mean, the, the number one thing at the end of the day is you, know, you, want to, you want to not be stressed out. You want to make it home, and you want to make it home safely. I have no doubt in my mind when I drive my CNG truck that I am safe in it. You know, I feel just as safe as any other diesel truck I've driven, so... You know, that, that can be a testament to some, but, but to others, it, it may not be the convincing that, that needs to be done, no matter how many, you know, safety tests they watch on YouTube or, or on the Internet for, for the tank manufacturers. But I definitely urge and, and compel people to, to look into the safety aspect, not just the hearsay of the actual technology itself. Well, I, I can relate because, I mean, personally, uh, you know, I think what I do is, you know, is 50 times more dangerous than what you do. I mean, I've got that <laughs> – I have that petroleum in that big tanker behind me. You know, we're just talking about a truck. But uh, I was just curious because, I mean, what I haul, I can really relate, you know, to what you were saying. But I know that some drivers out there, for maybe many, are, you know, are concerned with that. Me, personally, I wouldn't be uh, concerned with it at all based on uh, what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Let's go to uh, uh, Missouri, area code 314. Go ahead. Welcome to the show. Hi, Donna and Alan. It's Dean. Hey, you hey. finally made it on, huh? 
Well, I've been on cue for a while. I just, I guess it's not working right or whatever. But um, I, I think things are messed up. I can't get on chat, and I'm all, you know. So well, the uh, the, the the little hand just popped up, and I got you right then. But I, I've seen I've seen your area code the whole show, but you you didn't put that little hand up, D. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Alan. You got me, but I have had it up since about quarter after or quarter till. So, but anyhow, sure. Well, you're here. Go I go ahead. by D, but I, I go by D. But everybody, when I've been talking on Alan's thread a while ago, my name is Deanna Dutton, guys. That that's me. So, but I do. I love my CNG truck. And a couple of questions that I've heard people um, asking is, I drive for a larger fleet. And our fleet bought seven of these trucks for a dedicated route between St. Louis and Kansas City. And we pull about 40, between 42 to 46,000 pounds in these trucks each and every, well, we do two runs each and every night in our trucks. It's the line haul. And I love the truck. It has mm-hmm. a lot more power than the regular diesel trucks that are basically specced the same way. We have the Freightliner ISXs. And they, they pull better than the diesel trucks do. I can pull a hill and wave at the guys and smile. The same exact truck except for the fuel difference. Um, the trucks themselves, um, the guy who trained me um, is a guy who came out of Oregon who actually helped to design the engines and stuff. And I spent an afternoon with him. So there was a question about training and how, how to fuel these trucks. It's really not that difficult. I have found, just like they were saying, that on most of the um, places that you fuel at, there is a little video, two, three minutes, and it, it, it walks you through. And, and unless you watch this video, then they give you a little passcode or a PIN code that you can put in. It's just like fueling with your comm data or fleet fuel man or whatever to pay for this. So, I mean, it's very similar, but you have to have this special passcode to do it. There's also an app for CNG, if anybody's interested in seeing how many locations are across the country. Until I started driving these trucks, I didn't realize how many stations there actually were. Yes, in the, in, there's some places that have more than other places. We have one in St. Louis by the airport. We also have it um, down by Laclede Gas, which the, is the natural gas company in St. Louis area. So and then there's two or three out in Kansas City, Missouri, where in Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri. There's three in the general area right there that are truck accessible. So um, as far as learning how to fuel the truck, it takes a couple of minutes. Training that I got for the truck, a couple of hours. I asked a lot of questions about this, and I trained the other guys that are actually doing the line hauls with the trucks now. And it, it's really not that much different, like they were saying, is jumping from one truck to the other. You kind of got to learn it. There's things that are a little bit different about the engine and the way that it, it pulls and stuff. But all in all, I think it's very similar. And But the mm-hmm. one thing that really, really I just I love, and I didn't really realize it. Um, I had asthma and issues like that. So when I'm driving the diesel, and I've been doing it for a long time, I, I've, I notice I wheeze. And I do go to a pulmonary doctor, so, you know, 
And she's been on to me for the last couple of years. I need to get out of the truck because of my symptoms are getting a little bit worse. You know, getting older, it happens. But I always noticed that when I was on vacation, because I'd take two or three weeks at a time, that my breathing would get easier. So I thought, well, she's on to something. Well, I got into that CNG truck, and the first week I realized, hey, I'm not breathing as hard. I thought, oh, it's just I'm being silly, you know? So I thought, well, after the second week of driving the truck, man, I was feeling pretty good. The third week, I was like almost not wheezing at all. And then it came oh my God. the springtime. Yeah, and then it came the springtime stuff. So I'm, you know, kicking it for that a little bit, you know. Um, but then I back into a regular diesel truck, and then now I'm back up to my wheezing and inhaler stuff again. So there's health benefits for driving that truck too. What well, you said, you're back in a diesel truck. You're back in the diesel truck. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it's because my job is a little bit different. Than, I don't really run freight. I move equipment around the country. Okay. And we we got those um, trucks to do line haul. They had me test the trucks for them before they went ahead and bought all these. They bought seven of them, and then I think there's either two or three more that they bought for our leasing company. So if people want to lease the truck to test it out before they start putting them on their fleets, then they're available. Mhm. So, so yeah, what was the CNG truck you were driving? What 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 which what was the model and everything? The ISX. Okay, and and who puts that one out? It's um, it's a Kenworth. I mean, not a Kenworth. It's Freightliner. I don't know what I'm, I'm looking at a Kenworth. <laughs> you're thinking of <laughs> you're thinking of your other half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. But um, yeah, it's they're Freightliners. Okay. And they're really neat trucks. People are afraid of it. Another thing I heard people, I was leery at it at first when they first said, hey, do we have this project we want you to do? And I thought, are you nuts? And then I got to thinking, you know, my mind is being a little bit closed here. What I need to do is mm-hmm. open up my mind a little bit and do a little bit of research. Although I don't think <laughs> dispatchers would ever lie to me. You know, but mm-hmm. they're going to do the rah-rah, mm-hmm. hey, this is great. So I did some research on that truck. And then after, mm-hmm. I felt completely safe in that truck. The um, main fuel tank, which is on the driver's side in the trucks that we have, is encapsulated in two and a half inches of carbon steel. So mm-hmm. if it takes an impact, it's, I mean, it's virtually indestructible. Then the tanks on the box on the back, if you guys mm-hmm. see them, well, there's some pictures been posted. You know, those are um, cryogenic Kevlar encapsulating those tanks. So, and actually, we've had a driver roll one of our trucks already, and um, they didn't do anything to it. Yeah, some of the fuel popped off, but it has those pop-off valves. Mm-hmm. But it didn't do mm-hmm. anything any different than what a diesel truck would have done or anything else. The guy's probably got hurt, and he, he's now unemployed. But they set the truck up. They did, you know, the little maintenance or whatever they had to do to it, and it's back on the road again. It's it, it's a good thing. It's a good truck, and we need to try to get away from this diesel. And the, the health benefits, too, are there. The truck itself, what I was told, cost $160,000. That's a hunk of money. You are right. But at $1.99 for fuel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It can pay for itself within three years, well within three years. You're getting eight, nine miles to the gallon with it, 
even with mm-hmm. the heavy loads. You know, I was averaging seven. So with the heavy loads and the big hills and everything that I had to do getting across there, the truck is going to pay for itself. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, do you have any pictures on your uh, wall that you could share with us? Um, I should have had some on my wall. If not, I can probably get when I get off the phone because I didn't bring my laptop with me. Um, uh-huh. I can probably post some more on your wall if you want me to. Sure. I mean, just tag us with whatever pictures you have. Just put a, a tag okay. either on Truth About Trucking uh, Facebook page. That's our fan page. Okay. Or okay. the or Alan's page. You know. So. Okay. Uh, but okay. I think a lot of people, you know, would be interested in actually seeing, you know, what it is. The only thing that I have that I don't really care for, and it'll eventually fix itself, on the truck. And I do have pictures of this on our trucks. Um, and I'm sure most of them are like that. There's two fuel spigots, if you will, where you tag into it to, to fill them up. You have a smaller nozzle and you have a bigger nozzle because in our area, the bigger fueling is not available yet. Everything's a smaller. And it takes a little bit longer than average to fill the trucks up. You're talking about 30 to 45 minutes per truck to fill them up. Mm-hmm. That's the only real drawback. You have to figure that into it, but it's really not that big of a deal for the the money you're going to be saving on it. I just right. That that is the one con I have to it. That's it. Hey, can I chime in? Can I chime in for one second? Were you using the the big nozzle or the little nozzle to fuel? I'm sorry. The the little nozzles are the only ones that we have in our area. Okay, and then so you were getting a pump rate, pretty slow pump rate out of the smaller nozzle. I'm getting about thirty six. Okay, yeah, because we're out here, out of the out of the little nozzle we get, we actually get a, a good pump rate. We're running about twelve um, out of the okay. out of the small nozzle. So that that's yeah, that's usually the one I fill with. That's the most ample, amply available one out here uh, as well. So you have the large ones out there, or just the small ones? There's a few stations that have the large one. Most of the newer stations are starting to implement the larger filling nozzle as well. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm starting to starting to target those ones out. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the more the, for me, the quicker I can fill, the better. But it's definitely even on the small nozzle, I'm running about uh-huh. 15 minutes, uh, probably 20 minutes from when I pull up to when I leave. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, it could be because it's more readily available for you out there. I know when I talked to the lady who runs the Spire operation there by the airport in St. Louis, she's told me that they were going to be upgrading um, the just sitting out there fueling, I was really surprised at how many people do actually use that thing, you know, to fill up and how many companies are starting to use it, you know. Yeah. So. All right. Anyhow, well, hey, thanks, all, D- all right. Well, thanks, D. I, I appreciate it. I mean, it's good to hear from other drivers that, you know, are act- have actually driven them. And so far, you know, I hear more pros than I do uh cons jimmy but listen time's kind of winding down here i had to i had to mute henry because i was getting a lot of a lot of noise from his phone but he's back up with us but jimmy same question to you that i asked henry i mean the if you had one main message you wanted to get across to our listeners uh this evening uh what would that be uh the one main message i'd like to get across to the listeners is um you know keep moving forward well and i know i, I probably use that a lot but uh, that's going to be a quote that I take from Walter Disney. But but I use it a lot on the website. Keep moving forward. Fight the stereotype and, and do everything you can to, to displace the image 
the negative image in our industry. And then there is a way, no matter what anyone says, to become successful in trucking still. So it, it's not impossible, and, and just keep moving forward to be able to make it happen and be business smart about it. Well, I mean, that's good. I mean, we hear all the, uh, you know, the negatives so much and so many times. So, I mean, it's good to hear uh, uh, the positives from time to time. Now, do you only run California? I actually just run California within a 100-mile radius of San Bernardino, so Southern California strict. And, Henry, what, you, you run all 48? Uh, I mainly run Charlotte to Laredo, but, yeah, I run all 48. You know, we were talking about regulations earlier, just real quick before we wrap it up here. What's your thoughts on this death fuel? You know, when that thing first came out, everybody was uh, going, oh, yeah, that's really great. I mean, I li- I'd like to get your opinion on the, you know, the DEF. What do you think about that? I mean, does it re- is it is it worth it? Is it, is it a waste? Or wh- do, do you run DEF on your truck? Well, yes, I have DEF on my truck, and it's it's not really a fuel. It uh, has a catalyst, catalytic. Right. Uh, reaction in the DPF. Uh, what DEF has enabled the truck manufacturer, engine manufacturers to do is to do more of the cleaning up of the emissions outside of the cylinder. That freed up the engine to be able to leave it run and, and leave it run well. So there was an immediate fuel mileage improvement from, to, to give you an idea, when we did the cross-country tour and did... Um, it was 7.1, 76,000 pounds, standard trailer, nothing fancy that way, and uh, 7.7 with the DEF. Well, the DEF only adds 0.007 cents per mile for that change in fuel mileage is well worth it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. We were talking about DEF earlier, Don. I mean, that's pretty cheap. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's... I mean, so I mean, is it? What is it? Is it? Is it a real deal? Or I mean, I, I don't. Alan is always talking about death in his truck and this and that. And I'm just curious, as somebody who absolutely knows nothing, you know, about the actual truck, is, is it really helpful? Yeah. It, what what it does is, my gosh, I wish I had the brochure, but basically, through it, the emissions that come out the exhaust are nearly. Nothing. All, all you have coming out is nitrogen and water. Is, mm-hmm. is what your end, end byproduct of the whole deal is, and it's it's really not a new technology. It's very similar to what they used to clean up the smokestacks of uh, coal power plants. Mm-hmm. So, so okay. it's not really it, it, it's new on what we are. It's basically an exhaust scrubber is what you're doing. Okay. All right, Don. It's new, new to a vehicle. What we were talking about earlier, you know, it's one of those regulations we everybody was uh, oh hee hawing about, but it actually turned out to be you know maybe a good thing. I don't know. But well, listen, listen, well, let, let, uh, Alan. Let, let, yeah, let me add ahead. one thing to that. There, there was never a regulation that they used DEF. The regulation well, was that they needed DEF to meet to meet the regulation of the emissions. Yeah. So, and and it was tried by one person without it. And, well, that didn't work out well. But. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you're right. Well, what else can they use besides death then to to meet the regulation? You, you can add extra EGR to the engine to get there. Okay. And is there a way to, I mean, that's, that 
these trucks are tested to make sure to ensure that you know they're they're compliant. Oh, you mean if you run it out of death? Trust me, you'll know. I did it okay. just to see if it works. The first thing it does is it cuts your power and knocks you down to 55 mile an hour. If you pull into a parking lot with it empty and you come to a stop, it limits you to five mile an hour. So, trust me, you're running okay. it compliant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's got a built-in whipping stick. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and to tell you, you know, the, the other thing I want to get to before we got off of here was sure. when you go into aerodynamics and everything they're messing with, and I talked about why pick a plate with the air. When we had done that cross-country tour, which you can see on YouTube at uh, Cascadia Evolution of Efficiency Tour, I got to drive the lead truck, which is actually the sister truck to my current truck, and it was really an updated version of the previous truck I was driving. And they did three trucks. They did a 2010 a 2014 emission truck, pulling standard trailers, swapped the drivers every time we stopped, swapped trailers, so it wasn't about the trailer or the truck. Uh, They had a sophisticated trailer with all the instrumentation following what the trucks were doing with a third-party independent group watching everything we were doing. Um, We weren't allowed to run for fuel mods during that test. Every time we took off, we had to do it at full throttle. They wanted it to be about the truck and the percentage of difference that it improved, not up so driver input was minimized as much as it could. And trust me, they were watching because I'm used to driving for fuel mileage, and I kept wanting to. And if I did, they yelled at me. So I was driving a third truck. It was sort of a circus sideshow. It, it was 2014 with a fully air dynamic trailer behind it, 6 by 2 everything you could throw at it. Well, the difference was 7.1 for the bottom one, 7.7, 7, and the one that had it was just really trick, and I was a circus sideshow to it, was 9.32. Um, interestingly enough, when we start talking about the arrow side, which is what I want to get into, I was the lead truck, and they had to spread out, and they had the control trailer monitoring what we were doing for the third-party observer. Well, because I was so aerodynamic, every time we went uphill or downhill, my truck would pull out from the other ones because I had more horsepower left over for moving freight and the load instead of just pushing air out of the way, which is really where mm. my whole thing of why fight with the air. So it wasn't like I got shot out of a cannon, but incrementally I kept getting farther and farther away. So the one point I got out of radio range, and they just had to call me up and say, Henry, back out of it. You're out of range. Uh, oh, really? So then I started, keep, I started keeping track of how many times they were having to tell me to back off of it and looking at my watch. And You know, at the end of the day, running the exact same cruise speed set up by GPS, those trucks, if you were on flat ground, wouldn't have moved an inch from each other all day long. It, it was that precise. Wow. I would have ended up arriving every time. As a matter of fact, on the film, I don't end up in a lot of the film because I kept being up ahead of where they thought everybody would be. But... At the end of the day, I would have been in a five, six hundred mile day, a half an hour ahead of them, running the same cruise speed as they were. But I lost less speed going uphill. I picked up speed quicker because we could coast whatever it would do, not out of gear. Well, mine actually would go out of gear because I had the DT12 transmission, so it kicks it into neutral every time you don't need the engine. And literally, I kept leapfrogging out ahead of them with the same exact, all the rest of the specs identical. So. For anybody that doesn't think all that paying attention to all the little things as far as how it does with how you cut through the air, 
that to me was a massive demonstration of how big that was. Yeah, and you and you have all this up on your blog, right? That's on my blog, and you can also go to YouTube and look at Cascadia Evolution of Efficiency Tour. All right. Hey, sounds good. Uh, boy, I like that name. I have to look that YouTube. TeamRunSmart.com, where you can find more information. Henry, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. And, Jimmy, same to you. Uh, great show and information. Thanks again for being here, guys. Thanks Thank so you much. for having us. And, uh, Donna, do you have uh, uh, announcements? Yeah, I've got a few announcements. Let's go here. ahead and roll, and we'll just wrap it up here. Okay. <laughs> um, first of all, I wanted to say we just started our text alerts uh, to your phone for the shows. Um, so many times, oh, I forgot to tune in. And, you know, that's fine. You listen to the archive, and it's the same show, but it's not the same as tuning in live. So we did start with our um, text alerts. Uh, and today was the very first show, and I actually got some thank yous back, so that's pretty cool. So if you want a text alert uh, to the program, what you would have to do is text the word trucking radio, and it's all one word, trucking radio, and you text it to 781-728-9542, and this way you could be on our sign-up uh, for your text alert to your phone. That's 781-728-9542. And then just text the word trucking radio. Um, uh, a big mixac meeting uh, went on, let's see, Tuesday and Wednesday in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, there's a great article on Overdrive, Todd Dills wrote. Um, it was the mixac subcommittee uh, for the CSA. And... Uh, Quite interesting, as you know, um, CSA methodology has been under the gun now for the last couple of months. And what they're calling a, a very, very interesting quote, it says, it's like a scarlet letter that brokers and shippers are using in determining whether to put their freight on a carrier's truck. And uh, what they're referring to is the... Um, supposedly unfair methodology uh, for people like owner-operators, maybe with just one or two trucks, and it's very difficult to get that big yellow triangle with the exclamation point uh, for your different basic score. And it's it's costing them because uh, brokers are now, and I was actually looking at a thread today on LinkedIn, they're looking at these scores and they're uh, seeing, you know, Who's got those triangles going? And so until this methodology really is determined, a lot of people are requesting that these scores aren't public. So very interesting. Um, Overdrive Mag, like I said, Todd Dills has a great article on it, and I'm sure he's going to do a follow-up because I believe he was right at the meeting. But uh, we found – we pretty much follow up on the Mixac meetings. I'm not sure if Richard Wilson went uh, this time. Um, he usually goes to them, but I haven't heard, so we'll have to ask him if he has any more tidbits about that. Um, also, we'd like to uh, thank all our Blog Talk Radio and social media sponsors tonight. Uh, our sponsors are those within the trucking community who hold value to their products and services, and in doing so,
continue to raise the standards of the trucking industry. You can see all our sponsors, uh, their links and banners on askthetrucker.com. And uh, we'd, we'd like to give a shout-out uh, tonight to all of them. Our latest sponsor, uh, Gear Armor, and uh, our next latest sponsors, dotauthority.com, uh, the Small Business and Transportation Coalition, and the AIPPA. So welcome aboard. Um, we have truckertotrucker.com, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing, Trucker Lawyers, Pinnacle Truck Driver Training, Onboard Oil Tech, American Idle Reduction, Go CDL Jobs, Freightliners Team Run Smart, Truckers Justice Center, Warblade Invisible Fairings, TCRG Consulting, Tony Justice Music, truckhelp.com, truckersamerica.com, and CDL Consultant. And a big shout-out to missingtruckdriveralertnetwork.com. If you would like to be uh, a sponsor of uh, our social media campaign or our blog talk radio show, show and you have um, a valuable product or services for drivers, uh, you can just give us a call at 352 465 7476 or email us at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Uh, next week on our show, we have uh, Elaine Papp, who I can't wait to talk to again. Uh, she was at our uh, second annual Truck Driver Social Media Convention as a speaker, and she is the FMCSA Division Chief. Office of Medical Programs, and she's going to be speaking to everyone about the new National Registry of Medical Examiners and uh, what this new program will mean to drivers and fleets. And, uh, you know, she's putting together a show with us right now to make sure we can cover all the questions uh, that everybody has uh, about this new medical registry. Um, I also want to mention that we're going to be having uh, James Lamb, CEO of DOT Authority, President of the AIPPA, and the General Manager of the 12PL on uh, uh, in the near future. Uh, he continues his fight for broker transparency. Mr. Lamb has been on our show a few times as he continues his uh, crusade for small business. Uh, specifically owner-operators, small fleets, as they do business with freight brokers. Um, he's introduced his, what he calls the New Deal, uh, a voluntary broker transparency, and he did introduce that at Matt's this year, and we have a couple of articles on Ask the Trucker about that, and also, again, Todd Dills of Overdrive. He's got a great article about it, and I think um, on our article, uh, there's actually a link over to Todd's articles so you can really get into what this voluntary broker transparency means to the industry. Uh, Mr. Lamb also believes that the way to end uh, broker fraud is through criminal enforcement. And, uh, I mean, I think that's been a, a topic now for a while. Uh, well, we will be announcing the up-and-coming show on this broker transparency with James Lamb, and also participating on the show will be Oida, who's also uh, fighting broker fraud. So this this should be a very informative show. Um, I've got two powerful forces, you know, joining forces uh, to to create uh, a solution for broker fraud. Um, you know, the seventy-five thousand dollar bond. Um, 
well, that's that's controversial. Some are for it, some are against. James Land is definitely against it. He says it's putting uh, small brokers out of business. And uh, uh, I'll tell you what, if you really want to know, I don't know how many people listening are on LinkedIn, but there's some great discussions on LinkedIn uh, about this whole topic. And uh, we see it being becoming even um, a hotter topic in, within the next couple of months. So uh, we look forward to that show. That's going to be either in May or June. We hope it's in May. And oh, let me see, Alan. I think – oh, one thing. I don't have it in my notes, but it just came to mind. If you go to askthetrucker.com uh, and go on the menu on top, please take a look at the truck parking survey results. Uh, Hope Rivenberg, um had put together this slideshow along with Desiree Wood of um, Real Women in Trucking, and we had the uh, survey monkey. Uh, survey for for the need for more safe truck parking uh, as everyone knows uh Jason's law was passed in map 21 and uh this this survey was put out 4000 drivers answered this survey and now DOT is also putting out a survey however they are using the survey and you like I said you can access it on askthetrucker.com just pick up uh truck just click on truck parking survey and DOT will be using the results of this survey as they evaluate the funding uh, for the need for truck parking. So we invite everybody to look. It's going to take a little time, uh, but you'll be able to see uh, the amount of work that went into this and where the truck parking is needed and uh, where DOT, where hopefully uh, they're going to a lot allocate funds for these areas. So, um, again, uh, Hope Rivenberg, we thank you so much for everything you've done uh, for the last four years, uh, getting uh, Jason's Law passed. Uh, again, kudos to Congressman Tonko, and we thank him. And uh, and I guess that's it for tonight, Alan. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add to uh, to our announcements. No, I guess that will do it then. So, uh, listen, thanks for tuning in, everyone. We're um, getting close to that 300,000 listener mark. I'm watching it like a hawk. And as Donna mentioned, our next show will be on Thursday, May 8, 2014, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Elaine Papp, Division Chief of the FMCSA Office of Medical Programs, discussing the National Registry of Certified Medical Examiners, what it means to you as a driver and motor carriers. That is next Thursday, May 8th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, be sure to bookmark Truth About Trucking Live and add it to your favorites. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter under Ask the Trucker. And come join us in our blog at askthetrucker.com. And congratulations to Heather Lawrence Blair, winner of the Tony Justice uh, Apple Pie Moonshine CD giveaway. We appreciate that. And uh, thanks again who to Henry. Was, yeah, huh? Who was the other one um, who won? At, we- Abby Dyer. Okay. Did, do they but, know how to get uh, give their all their information so we can? Um, I don't know. We'll we'll find it after the show, I guess. Okay. I <laughs> I don't. I need her name. We'll get it. Thanks again to uh, Henry Albert and Jimmy Navarez of Freightliners Team Run Smart for joining us this evening. The link to their website is right in this show description, making it easy for you to go right to it. So be sure to check it out and see what Running Smart is all about. So until next time, I tell you what, we'll leave you with Tony Justice. You can find him at TonyJusticeMusic.com. Uh, it's one of the songs that he 
came out a while back that was really a really good hit on the road. So until next time, on behalf of Donna Smith, AstroTrucker.com, TruthAboutTrucking.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith. Drive safe. Thank you. her crazy driving that old truck she needs loving but she's out of luck he's on the road he's on the go he's on the road hauling that load on down the line while he's out there in the fast lane her life's moving slow he's on the road he's pulling into phoenix she's pulling out her hair Tossing and turning, wishing he was there. He's on the road, he's on the go, he's on the road, hauling that load on down the line. While he's out there in the fast lane, her life's moving slow, he's on the road. Get on the road, get on the go, get on the road, you're back in these arms of mine.